world's most powerful investors, heads of state, former leaders, entrepreneurs, government ministers, a gathering in the Saudi Arabian capital this week to discuss the future of technology, sustainable development, capital markets, infrastructure financing, energy, old and new, gene editing, and cellular therapies. How life can be reimagined, perhaps. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the Nationals newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. On the face of things, the Future Investment Initiative is already a massive success given the list of attendees, especially compared to last year. We are, of course, in its third edition of the FII, and we have the chance to assess how Saudi Arabia's own Vision 2030 plans are unfolding, and also to take stock for the region as an investment opportunity as a whole. Given all the upheaval in the Middle East at the moment, the FII perhaps is a welcome change of pace. But what will it mean tangibly? And you can't ignore the regional backdrop, whether it's instability in Iraq and Lebanon or the ongoing conflict in Syria. Now joining me down the line from Riyadh for the FII is Kelsey Warner, our future editor. Uh, Kelsey, you're in the Ritz-Carlton in Riyadh, where the Future Investment Initiative is being held amongst other locations, uh, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, I also want to talk about this sort of stellar lineup and jam-packed schedule that indicates that people might have literally a few minutes to talk, and that's it, given how much is expected to go on. But how was the experience getting to to Saudi <laughs> from sort of visa onwards, if you like. Sure. Well, yes. Greetings from the business center at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Riyadh, where I feel like I'm sitting down in a calm, quiet place for the first time in about 24 hours. Uh, arriving to the Riyadh airport was fairly seamless. They actually gave me an e-visa uh, that was generated seemingly instantaneously once I had cleared a security background check, but one that I was able to apply and receive online. So I didn't go to an embassy. I received an e-visa basically in my inbox, printed it out, um, and was through security in two minutes. It was very similar to the experience of going through security at Abu Dhabi or Dubai International. Well, I mean, a lot of business travelers would, would be curious to know, you know, given all the recent changes to to, to visas and opening up the country more broadly to tourism, um, whether sure. you know, it, it would be a smooth process. I mean, you expect it to be for such a, an event like this um, with the amount of people flying in, not just from the region, but from around the world. But still, I mean, I'd seen a bit on social media about um, uh, journalists uh, driving around car parks trying to get to the event. But was, was, uh, was yours a smooth... trapped on buses. Tra yes. No, my anxiety uh, forced me to get my own Uber to the event this morning. I was not getting on any buses. Um, so I left my hotel at the crack of dawn this morning. Um, after hearing horror stories of people walking miles, because the driveway actually up to the Ritz is probably about 300, 400 meters long, and they don't allow anyone but VIPs to go up directly to the Ritz for security reasons. So you get dropped off at the end of this really long driveway, pass through a metal detector, pass through you know bomb sniffing German shepherds. Um, it feels really intense. And the Ritz-Carlton itself is such an imposing edifice. And then off to its left is the conference center, which in look and feel is exactly the same, um, just really uh, grand uh, interiors and just vast. And so you're just walking for um, you know, hundreds of meters at a time, but um, and it's 6,000 people. It's the biggest um, FII of the three years that they've hosted it. 
to date. And it just feels like it's heaving with people um, and so much energy. Uh, they call this the Davos of the desert. Um, I'm not sure who came up with that tagline. And, and I'm not sure the World Economic Forum that hosts their annual meeting in Switzerland in the, in the village of Davos every year is particularly pleased about that. But, it, you know, one of the criticisms of um, that meeting in Davos is that it can be a bit of a bubble. And the people within there, it can you know be an echo chamber, and you know what's going on mm. around them in the world because of security, because of the the rarefied atmosphere and location. Um, that you know it doesn't necessarily deal with with reality at times. I'm not sure that's fair, but certainly what what's the feeling now at the FII in in, in Riyadh, given that the region isn't perhaps going through its best moments. Mm. So the governor of the public investment fund, Yasser Aramayan, got up this morning and one of the first words he uttered was diversity, actually, that one of the goals of PIF um, in convening the FII um, initiative, the forum, whatever, is to actually bring a diverse range of investment professionals to the table to talk about some of the most pressing issues that the world is facing that are really going to impact the fate of these investments um, and and how we're grappling with this. And and he, I was actually struck by his emphasis on diversity uh, as, as his opening remark, that in 2016, it was with the simple idea to bring diverse leaders together and create this free flow of ideas and opportunities. A striking example of this was Kirill Dmitriev this morning, the head of the Russian uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund, you know, referencing the reconciliation between Saudi Arabia and Russia via uh, investment opportunities and co-investment opportunities. Uh, so it seems like bringing this, these diverse parties to the table where maybe their geopolitics differ, uh, it, it, talking investment, talking about the fate of uh, capitalism seems seems to, to be a big draw worldwide. Uh, and FII is happy to be, be the table. Yeah, so if we look, if we say, you know, more broadly in the region, obviously Syria, where there is a Russian presence, um, it, it's been a, a problem spot for the Middle East for a while now. It doesn't look like it's necessarily um, getting mm -hmm. any less complex. But more recently, we've had these developments in Iraq um, and, and Lebanon, where protests have been very much, you know, economic based the complaints are, you know, opportunity, jobs. We've heard these things before, but so obviously, where you know Russia has a presence in in, in the region in Syria, and um, Kirill, he referenced that directly. He said, you know, we pushed Syria to the side to uh, broker deals between um, GCC um, funds in Russia and open up that opportunity, and it's created more conciliatory conversations um, overall. Um, which I, it was, I thought, sort of a bold thing for him to say. And then we had Ray Dalio on the stage this morning, the hedge fund manager at Bridgewater and billionaire investor. Uh, you know, and he was talking about how um, kind of globally there's this big capitalism versus socialism theme where there's these revolutions practically taking place around um, anger over the widening wealth gap. So um, I do feel like there's real acknowledgement of realities on the ground um, globally. We've not yet really turned our gaze directly to the Middle East in the program, um, but, but we will. Yeah, I mean, the sort of escalating violence in Iraq with the protests overnight with Karbala 
um, you know, protesters killed and, and in Lebanon, uh, you know, continued protests there. I mean, it's all tied into this this idea of opportunity. You know, where's the opportunity going to come from? And uh, in, in Saudi itself, the, the last three years, I mean, part of the reason why they have this future investment initiative is because of Saudi's efforts to diversify its economy, uh, the Saudi Vision 2030, to create jobs for Saudis to create that opportunity that isn't necessarily there in other parts of the region. And I, I wonder how much of the, the the program is going to be looking at what can be done in the kingdom itself uh, to support that as opposed to sort of more broader conversations about capitalism, sustainable development, which are, which are some of the topics that, that are quite um, important right now. So my sense and the way it kicked off was um, FII is all about this search of the next great idea. So you go outside of the um, huge like ballroom where everyone's watching the stage for these keynote talks and these panels. You go outside and there's dozens of companies, um, Samsung, Magic Leap, um, smaller, smaller tech startups who are all kind of pitching what their ideas are in terms of how we're going to build circular economies, what our smart cities are going to look like, um, how 5G will be applied, all of these really futuristic. So I feel like FII, they're looking at all the ideas that are currently available in the universe um, of, of, all, of all of the current technologies, and they're trying to figure out maybe where their next plays could be. Um, and it feels like everyone's here kind of trying out. Um, so, Yeah, I mean, there's, less- there's a session on, on deep tech which sounds, um, you know, mysteriously ominous, uh, but I assume it's to do with, you know, where are these breakthroughs um, going to come and how do they materialize and how can we uh, apply them in the, in the real world? And actually Masayoshi Son, the founder and CEO of SoftBank, which has this vision fund that includes uh, the Saudi's PIF and, and Abu Dhabi's Mbadala amongst its investors, you know, they've invested in Uber, uh, we work uh, sort of notoriously at the moment, but generally, they, they, you know, they're looking for the next big thing. So you've mm, got the. Big- I mean, and he's he's also. I mean, he's here looking to round up funds for his second vision fund. And PIF and Mubadala have yet to actually commit funds to the second second go around. So he's a bit here, I think, hat in hand in some ways this week, um, and. I'm, I will be very curious to, to go to that panel and hear, hear what he has to say and also to, you know, try to press him for some answers on thoughts on WeWork right now. Yeah, I mean, everyone wants to see, you know, how that plays out. And, you, you know, you had the, the, um, uh, the, the executive uh, that actually looks after the investments of, of, of the Vision Fund talking about how they might, they might do things a little bit differently going forward. Um, you know, the governance might change, uh, the, the, how, how they weigh, where to put money in. That's Rajiv Misra, who's an ex-Deutsche Bank banker, but now is um, SoftBank Investment Advisors. And he was saying things, things will be different going forward. So there's a certain amount of a new kind of era, if you like, for this sort of investment in tech startups and in technology going forward. And you've got some of the biggest investors there, uh, not just from the Middle East or Russia, uh, but China, India, the U.S., and 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 so it'll be interesting to hear what you know where where they think the next big thing will be coming from. And my sense so far is um, there's this disrupt or be disrupted, you know, 
anvil hanging over everyone's head. And everyone's just hoping that they make the right bet, but nobody knows because the technology is evolving so quickly and it seems so um, uncertain over how some of these new technologies will be applied via AI, 5G, like whatever, mostly AI, honestly, and machine learning, where, how and where this will be applied and to what end. Um, Everyone seems to know that AI holds the greatest promise, but it's everyone's trying to make make the right bet on the right horse. Um, and it, it does feel like a very uncertain time here, a, a time of great promise. But I think uncertainty is sort of the theme of the day. Yeah, and it, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, in, because we, we it, fe- it does feel like we're coming to we're drawing to a close on a cycle. With regards to technology, we of of what is apparent. So you know, if we talk about um, like ride sharing platforms and other tech that we're using every day, there's there's now a kind of blind spot. We don't really know how the next phase of that is going to play out in terms of every day. And And the next phase represents so much more value, I think, than social media or these sort of um, like apps as a service or this thing that enabled the gig economy, what we have coming next is on the scale of, you know, oil markets. It's not on the scale of like the, the, you know, this whole data is the new oil thing. I think everyone's trying to get their arms around what that actually means, what it will be worth. Um, But I think the sense is that it's worth so much more than what this, this most recent iteration of the web that we, as we know it, what that looked like and how much, how much we got out of it. Because um, I think, too, right now we're actually grappling with this what this gig economy and social media and the media landscape in general, what it's actually worth. Because now we've got all of these very maybe overvalued companies that are, you know, going public and facing the realities of investor sentiment. I think we're in this sort of chasm right now where we're kind of making the leap between this last internet as we knew it of the gig economy and social media being sort of the uh, money makers of the day um, and moving on to something that's going to be so much bigger and so much more valuable um, to shareholders um, and even to humanity. Um, But we don't know what it is. We don't really know. um, Everyone's trying to kind of bet on the right horse. So I I want to take a a sort of a step back about the meeting itself because um, as, as you met, alluded to, it's the third edition of the FII, and, and compared to a year ago, where there was a lot, there was a lot of hesitancy mm-hmm. for people to attend. But this year, if I look at the if I look at the list, it's already at least in terms of attendees a massive success. So I mean, I'll reel them off: CEO of BlackRock, CEO of HSBC, CEO of Blackstone, uh, President and COO of Goldman yeah. Sachs. CEO of Mubadala Investment Company, um, Chairman and Managing Director of Reliance Industries. We mentioned the uh, Russian Direct Investment Fund. We've got the CEO of Credit Suisse, Chairman and CEO of China's Honey Capital. I mean, I could go on and on. There's there's Citigroup CEO. Um, you've got Samba Financial Group and the other big, you know, Saudi uh, institutions as well. Uh, Adnoc's Chief Executive, Dr. Sultan Al Jaber. Of course, um, Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman, who's the Saudi Energy. Um, minister will be there as well, but Rick Perry, U.S. Energy Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, Secretary of the Treasury um, in the U.S., Brazil's President, Jair Bolsonaro, fresh from his uh, visit to the UAE, will be talking about how his, his country is back, getting back to business. 
Um, mm-hmm. We also, as I mentioned, um, uh, Masayoshi Son of SoftBank. Then we've got the president of Didi uh, in China. Uh, I mean, we've got the presidents of Nigeria, Niger, Kenya, and the Republic of Congo on a panel on their own. Um, Sir Martin Sorrell, um, the famous advertising guru, the fallen star of advertising, if you like, with the mooch, Anthony Scaramucci, the former White House. <laughs> Who's everywhere. Yeah, He's, the former White I House press secretary, going to um, be talking about whether Donald Trump can win another election in 2020. Then we're going to have David Cameron, Mattia Renzi, former prime ministers of the UK and um, Italy, respectively, amongst other former um, leaders on another panel. And then we've got Narendra Modi of India, King Abdullah of Jordan, and then the cherry on the cake, Jared Kushner. (laughs) No comment on the last one. Um, Yes, it is a massive who's who of global leadership, both present and former. What I wonder is... uh, kind of to your earlier point is what do these conversations have to do with Saudi Arabia and them advancing this vision 2030? Um, so there's almost this dual track of FII, I, I, I feel like is emerging when you look at who the speakers are, is um, PIF kind of stepping out as a convener of important conversations that push agendas. And then secondarily to that, FII as a bit of a as a bit of a hub to test test some new ideas and talk them through. Yeah, so um, they've got these conclaves, um, which I mean, not much detail. I assume those are those are sort of off the record sidebars that people are going to have. Right, and those are a little more entrepreneurial in nature. It's, it seems like it's a lot of startup founders um, and you know people probably looking for venture capital funding. Um, and they're kind of tackling these like big, you know, capital letter questions around food security, water security, um, climate change, adaptations, uh, future of communication, spiraling healthcare costs. You know, they're looking at really um, things that keep keep people up at night. Um, and and they're kind of little off to the side scrums, as as I understand it. Um, one's on entrepreneurship with some leading startups, another on tourism, another on video gaming, another on retail. I mean, that, that the scale of this. Um, and those really, I think, are the sectors actually that Saudi has identified as the biggest growth areas for them in their diversification push. Um, those, those are sort of some of the most concrete, I think, because even this morning, those were the, the sectors that were identified Um in the opening remarks as areas of, of great growth potential for the kingdom. Um, so I would actually imagine that some of the most like tactical concrete work is actually getting done at, at these scattered writs across. Yeah. And, and there'll, there'll also be updates on some of the big mega projects like the Red Sea project on date. That's tomorrow, Wednesday. There'll be an update on that. Um, they'll, they'll, there's also an, a panel on inclusion the she economy, it's called, challenges and opportunities oh, of moving towards a more inclusive workforce with um, the Minister of Investment International Cooperation from Egypt, Sahar Nasser, and um, the CEO of Citigroup, Michael Corbat, and then Samba Financial Group's uh, CEO, Rania Nashar. So are you going to go to that one? Yes, I went to that this morning. Um, the whole, you know, is the future female question was asked at this panel 
this morning, um, you know, after a morning of all male panels. So, um, which the moderator did point out what she calls manals. Um, and yes, it was, it was discussed. Citigroup had a couple of, you know, somewhat impressive metrics for their own performance internally in terms of hiring females and closing the gender pay gap, but didn't feel like there was a lot of energy around that panel. And I didn't find it to be much of anything, to be honest. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting this because, you know, it, it, I think it comes down to a lot of the attendees and the people on the list. And, and, and if we talk about sort of, they brought in some real heavyweights from around the world. And mm. unfortunately, most of the heavyweights around the world are men. And so, sure. I mean, and so if you can invite all those, you know, heads of companies and from around the world, and not a lot of them are are females, then then that's what you're going to have. Sure. And I mean, even looking around the room of you know the six thousand attendees, it's probably about ten percent female. Uh, and then you know, even getting on the plane to come to Saudi, the plane, which was not full of heads of state or <laughs> heads of companies, was full of just people heading to Riyadh. Um, the plane was, you know, about, I counted, it was like five to 10% female. So uh, the lifting of restrictions on women in the kingdom, um, what really struck me this week is those restrictions have been lifted, but uh, it really takes time for for social change to happen. Um, I, I'm not seeing a, a lot of women driving. Um, and it just sort of feels like we're, we're in a man's world when, you, um, when you're in a room like this. Well, I mean, the, with, you, you mentioned at the top of the, the program about you know, diversity and in terms of nationalities, it's, right. It's well represented, right? In terms of like ge geographically, from it's yes. very well represented in terms of the Americas, Asia, Europe, uh, and the Middle East. And what about the age group? What about the age groups? Is it is it a lot of um, you know old men to want to, you know to, the, to put it to put it bluntly? Yeah, I mean, it does feel like an it does, certainly feels like an older an older crew, the marketplace where you're testing out, you know, the, um, you know, you're putting the headset on and experiencing some AI something or other, or you're in an augmented reality or, you know, you're trying out the tech that's where you're going to run into the young people is them, you know, <laughs> leading you through what, whatever their company's up to. Um, but the people milling about and really passing the business cards, those are all the old, 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 old men. Yeah. Okay. And that brings me, sort of full circle back to to Jared Kushner what's he going to be doing during the FII do we know this is a good question um the uh topic that he's speaking on it looks like it's going to be a bit of a little fireside chat on um the U.S. in the next five years I believe uh so just a forward-looking U.S. investment approach in the next five to ten years well that's interesting because I mean, he, he is famously the son-in-law of U.S. President Donald Trump, but also involved in a long-anticipated, yet-to-be-seen um, peace deal for the Middle East, uh, for solving the uh, Palestinian-Israeli uh, crisis conflict. 
um, and and everyone's been waiting for that. So there's no sense that he's going to be talking geopolitics um, at this event. Not at all. Uh, I think this is really about this is maybe possibly him defending the America first strategy, actually. Well, we have, we, you know, there's a lot of reports about the US and China being close to a kind of phase one deal, if you like, on trade. Um, and mm-hmm. so I wonder if, you know, you're going to have so many people with a, with a strong interest in getting a more benign uh, global trade environment. So it'd be interesting to see if that, that message kind of comes through that perhaps we're past the worst of it in terms of, of, of the US and China with relation to America first? Yeah, he's, he's, he's on stage for, for 10 minutes, you know, next to, he's being moderated by Stephen Schwartzman, the CEO, co-founder of Blackstone. And um, yeah, I think he's probably going to be broad strokes on the US and its role in sort of this global agenda. Um, and I, I'm thinking he'll stay away from all hot button issues. I'm thinking this is going to be a, a pretty soft touch uh, well, we'll engagement see. for him. We'll see. Well, look, Kelsey, thanks so much for joining us. Um, Kelsey Warner, our future editor in uh, in Riyadh for the Future Investment Initiative. Uh, she'll be covering that uh, for the three days that it's on. So please come to the national.ae to read and, and hear from her. Um, and, and best of luck with all that. And let us know uh, what the best bits are. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you. Take care, Kelsey. Thank you. Allow me to draw your attention to The National's latest podcast, Books of My Life by Rupert Hawksley. Let's have a listen. Hey, I'm Irvin Welsh. I am Bryn Terbell. Hi, this is Ariana Huffington. I'm Ian Rankin. I'm Alexander McCall-Smith. And these are the... And these are the... Books of my life. Books of my life. And these are the books of my life. I'm Rupert Hawksley, arts and culture writer at The National. And I'd like to invite you to join me and some brilliant guests as we talk about all things books. The books they love, the books they hate, the books that made them cry, and the books that have had the biggest impact on their lives. Interviews with, among others, Ariana Huffington, Alexander McCall-Smith and Irvin Welsh will be available from October the 30th. You can subscribe today by finding Books of My Life on your favourite podcast app. We'd love to hear from you too about the books that have amused, confused or even changed you. This is a conversation, so email us at booksofmylife at thenational.ae. Before we finish, here are the other stories you need to know about on thenational.ae. Iraq's oil production and oil fields have not suffered any effect from the nationwide protests. That's according to the International Monetary Fund. Bahrain's alternative investment manager, InvestCore, said it secured funds from Harbourvest for its Middle East and North Africa private equity investment portfolio. An offshore financial free zone, Abu Dhabi Global Market, issued new employment regulations as it looks to align more employee entitlements with onshore allowances. That's it for today. Hope you've enjoyed this show. Do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review if you can. Uh, all that remains is to thank our production team, Arthur Edison, Aisha Khan, and you all for listening. Do join us again next time. <laughs>